Well, thank you for this privilege of being with you. Uh, for some time now, I've been very blessed and impressed by the uh, ministry of Nazarene Bible College. I've got good friends who uh, are now successful. One's a DS. Um, and I had a man within the, the church that left who finished his degree through Nazarene Bible College, and he's still in ministry, ordained. And uh, so I've been impressed by uh, what you do. And uh, it's a joy and a privilege to be able to try to say something that might be helpful today. Um, <clears throat> my first question would be, uh, what would you think is the role of compassion in our church in this day and time. Um, I would define compassion as uh, dealing with sheep who have no shepherd and helping them. And I believe that uh, it's a call on God's people in our time to move back to understand the role of compassion. A brief anecdote in my history in a church in Texas, um, we, we had a good ministry. It was about 15 people when we went there, averaged uh, 104 in our best year in Sunday school. So we had, we had good ministry, built a new building, but they liked to fight. Now, you, you, you've not been exposed to any Nazarene churches that like to fight, but I have. Yeah. And so... I just got fed up and went out on the edge of the city one day and said, God, do I have to wear a referee shirt for the rest of my life? Do I have to do that? Is that what you've called me to? And that day, I see some of you smiling. You've, you, you must know something about this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That day, I know we're not supposed to let our Bible fall open. That's not discipline study. But that day, my Bible fell open to a passage that has redirected the course of my life and ministry. Isaiah chapter 58. Um, since then, that's what I've been trying to do. I believe God wants me to concentrate on the issues he raises in Isaiah 58. Uh, I'm going to read just a few phrases out of it to kind of give you an orientation of it. Basically, if I were to summarize this chapter to someone who doesn't know about it, I would tell them this is basically a disagreement or an argument or a discussion between God and his people. And uh, it says in the first verses, the Lord says, cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet, Tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. Basically, God goes on to say, I'm paraphrasing roughly here. God says, you like being religious. You like being church people. You've got a church people thing going on and you're very proud of it. And you think it's going to get you to heaven. And uh, implications in the rest of the chapter are, is he's saying, that's not going to work. Uh, he says, you, 
they say to God, well, Lord, why are we doing all this church stuff? Why are we being good church people? It says in one verse, why have we fasted? They say, and God, you seem not to have seen or care. Hmm. Uh, then the Lord later on in the chapter says, so you can't fast if you do this day and expect your voice to be heard on high. Then he goes on to say, this is the kind of fast. This is the kind of walk with me. This is the kind of discipleship process that uh, I want and expect. Number one, to share your, your bread with the hungry and to bring your house the poor who are cast out. Oddly enough, Sunday morning after Dr. Scott had preached, we had word that we were going to baptize this young man that night. We were all excited. And into the foyer came this woman who looked pretty much near death. And uh, her story was she'd been out all night walking in the cold, blistered feet, um, and needed help. So we began to scramble around saying, where could we help her get? Uh, someone looked up a, a housing, uh, emergency housing thing. And then someone handed her $20, one of our people. And shortly thereafter, she vanished. You know, but we can say we shared no matter what the expected or hoped for outcome was. So the Lord says you're, you're to think like that. Um, I'll share in just a minute some of the things we're doing that uh, as a church family that are helping us touch our community. The Lord goes on and says, uh, feed the hungry, cover the naked, give some the homeless a place. And, and a phrase that I can't escape, and not hide yourself from your own flesh. Paraphrase, don't forget your kids. Uh, we have 10 grandkids. Am I proud or what? We have 10 grandkids. I had four girls. Somebody said to my wife once, why didn't you try for a boy? And she said, weren't four tries enough? And yeah. So, but it's interesting that with 10 grandkids now, seven of the 10 are boys. And, and we're just having a blast. Uh, I can't get too busy. I hear this passage saying to me, I can't get too busy with my ministry and forget to realize that my life as a grandfather is meant to impact my grandchildren. Amen. You know, some of you are smiling. And I know you're distinguished professors, et cetera, but you can say amen too, anytime. Um, the Bible says, he goes on, the Lord says, you must take away the yoke from your midst, extend your soul to the hungry. And then it says in another verse, your light will break forth like dawn in the darkness. So since my encounter in Texas that morning with this chapter, I've been involved with some kind of food ministry and compassion thing uh, for the rest of my years. It's been in all, over 30 years now. Um, the good thing about the church that went away that Scott alluded to is that 200 people, $200,000, 
just went away. And uh, we were so broke, we couldn't pay attention. I mean, we didn't have two nickels. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And uh, yet we had begun a, a fairly active food and counseling ministry. So with all the people gone, Sunday school teachers gone, board members gone, it was, it was pretty emaciated. And my wife and I have both decided that that church, this is kind of a stern statement, but we both decided that that church had to die. It could not exist in that community and, uh, and do anything that really mattered. So what do we do now was our question. And we fell back on this, this passage and God's plan and really began to uh, ask the Lord, well, how do we do? What we need to do now, well, uh, I would submit to you as you train uh, young pastors or new pastor leaders that it's vitally important to understand how serious this concept is to God. I think, I think a lot of churches have missed the compassion component. I was, I was pleased to be a part of the K Church project with Dr. Bill Sullivan a lot of years ago now, and, and that model was all about accumulation. Uh, this model, as I understand it, is about uh, discipleship and doing good. You say, well, what's the biblical base then? Well, it's Isaiah fifty-eight. And it's also from Acts chapter 10. It says this in Acts chapter 10, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. How he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. Uh, for God was with him. So, and then later on in John, Jesus says to the disciples, you're not only going to do what you've seen me doing, you're going to do it big. You're going to do it greater. Wow, that's a pretty intimidating statement to me to think that, that we are expected by Jesus to do more, greater, bigger than he did. I, I think I'm being fair to that passage. I hope I am. Yeah. So our church now is a joyous mix of um, people from all over, really. Um, a lot of our leaders are island people who came to the States. Um, we are discovering that African-American culture is in deep, deep trouble. And uh, yet one of our best leaders is African-American, raised in a home with, with a mom who bore 22 children in Alabama. Um, so how are we doing it? What are we doing? Well, for one thing, we're doing immigration now. We have an immigration service. And in 2019, our immigration service helped uh, over 100 people from 30 different countries. Uh, that reveals the complexity of that uh, community that Scott referred to that shifted 
in that period of time from 60% white to 60% black of all types. Yeah, so we have an immigration service that are not lawyers, but they are trained and approved by the Department of Justice to help people figure out what they need to do to get legal. And they're still doing it, yeah. We also have had that food ministry. Now, we found out that if, if you wanna hand out food, if you believe God's calling you to do that, he will, you will never lack for food to hand out. I mean, at, at one point, we, we had a bit of a coup where the leaders of our food ministry took all of our equipment away. And I thought, well, it's over. And uh, we just kind of turned around and said, Lord, what do we do? And next thing you know, we're, we're getting food from another source and we're handing it out. And now when with a relationship with the Atlanta Community Food Bank. In the last several years, we have, they tell us, this was three or four years ago, they told us that we had received and passed out over a million pounds of food. Um, every month, one Saturday a month, we do a thing called Mobile Pantry. The food bank comes and drops like 19 and or 20 pallets of food on our driveway. 30 volunteers break it down and hand it out to families. I think our biggest number of cars to come through on a given day was close to 300. And Scott mentioned the young man baptized last Sunday night. We found out he had never been in church, but he had come to help with the food ministry. And when he realized the Lord was leading him to be baptized, guess where he came? He came to us. So. Our food ministry is having a serious impact. We don't qualify them. We have people come in Jaguars to receive food. Uh, you know, Mercedes Benz. And you say, well, why do you do that? Because I can't find anywhere where Jesus expects me to qualify him. Uh, I'm not sure he uh, income checked anybody. He gave food. So thinking like Jesus. So we have immigration, we have a serious food ministry. We even had the Atlanta Community Food Bank uh, grant us 40 grand to build an additional food building, to store food. Um, we have, uh, in the past, we've planted a daughter church, uh, very involved in that with myself and uh, looking for our next plant. And then we have begun a community garden. Uh, I believe compassion is in our original DNA as a denomination. I'm pretty sure Phineas Brzee didn't make all the ensconced churchy Methodist people in his world happy when he was helping unwed mothers all those years ago. For that matter, if I'm any, if I understand the history at all, that's part of why they they rejected him, ran him out or let him go, or he left because his leaders in his churches were not uh, happy with him dealing with people who need help and have no real shepherd. So, so what's going on now? We, 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 with food ministry, immigration, 
the garden. We have a community garden started and uh, getting ready to, to move into our next church plant. And meanwhile, the church that had to reorganize and start all over seems to be getting healthier and healthier. And it's because I think, I believe, because we've learned to pray. When we didn't know what to do, when everybody left, what do you do? Well, I guess we just ask the Lord what to do. And that's correct. We have a mentor now who's working with this congregation who's in charge of all the Nazarene work in the Far East, China, Mongolia. His name is Dr. Melvin Rigsby. And he is uh, coming to us every Wednesday now and for a year has worked with seven of my leaders to teach us how to be uh, the kind of disciples who could uh, exist in the environment that Chinese Nazarenes have to exist. In other words, serious, ultimately serious discipleship. And I'll close with five questions he's asking us to blend into our lives. The first question is, what am I doing here? Why did God put me here? Well, Scott alluded to me asking God that after the church kind of did a meltdown. Uh, the second question is, where does God want to dwell now? In the Old Testament, you know how well the, uh, the presence of God dwelt in the, in the area of the Ark of the Covenant. But now, if I understand, and he's helped us understand, that the Spirit of God dwells in me. And it's a very practical thing. When I go in Walmart, he, he's, he's led me to believe and convinced me <laughs> that when I go in Walmart, guess who's with me? The Spirit of God. And so that has transitioned our approach to daily living. Seven of my people are answering these questions each day. The third question is, what's in my hand? What can I do? What does God put in my hand to do? And uh, implication is you're going to see people every day that need the presence of God. So what you're to do is to let God express himself through you to them. Number four is, this, is the most serious question. Who is in front of me? Uh, daily opportunities with people. One of my men, one of my best men, he's our worship leader. He goes in uh, Walmart almost daily and has four or five people that he's there to just say, just want you to know I've been thinking about you. God loves you. God's got a plan for you. And so the final question that Rigsby has uh, driven deep in our thinking is what if everybody shared Jesus like I do? You see, I'm afraid a lot of the early training I got was teaching me how to, how to build a bigger church. And now I understand God's call is not to build a bigger church, but to build better and bigger, more serious disciples. It's been a privilege this morning to be with you. And I'd like to pray for you, if I may. Can, may I do that, Scott? Yes. 
Lord, today, I bless in your name these good servants of yours who have in their leadership influenced the shaping of other leaders. I pray that you would pour out fresh energy and strength and wisdom and knowledge on them in ways that go beyond their own native abilities that are infused with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. 